0: Welcome to episode 35 of 1530. So today we'll be talking about the Australian Open. Novak Djokovic was able to take home title number 18 on the race for Grand Slams. I know he's publicly declared he wants to shoot for the all-time record. So he's only two behind Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, who currently uh, share that title together, the most slams. So Djokovic is hot on their heels. The next generation didn't really give him that much of a fight, but we'll, we'll get into the numbers behind that. Uh, medvedev did make his second grand slam final which is impressive though for him welcome to fifteen thirty. now introducing your host ben but first Matt. we're going to start off with the stat of the day so the stat of the day is 37 and that's 37 total breaks of serve so medvedev and djokovic each led or i guess co-led the, the field for the men with 37 breaks of serve. So this is just dominant, dominant defense by both men breaking their opponent's serves. And this really propelled them to the final. And this is despite the very fast court speeds that were talked about and also shown through the numbers. We'll get into that more as well. But the Australian Open's kind of playing faster and faster it seems. I think probably that final and I believe it was 2012 or it was Djokovic and Nadal playing for five or six hours on the slower court. They've definitely been speeding up over the years. Uh, since then but this didn't deter Djokovic or, or Medvedev with their defense making it to the final so very impressive if you break down that 37 breaks of serve you know they played seven matches since they both went to the final so that's a little bit over five breaks per match right out of a best of five sets which you know both guys I think only played a couple five setters most of them were in straight sets right so they're breaking their opponent about five times within within three or four sets on average. So pretty impressive by both guys. Very, very solid on the defense. You can never really let your guard down. But yeah, another impressive title by Djokovic. It seems like he's unbeatable down under, right? He's won, I believe it's eight of the last 11 Australian Opens and a record nine Australian Opens. So this puts him second most of slams at a single, one at a single event. Of course, Matt, your guy, Rafa Nadal, has a ridiculous 13 titles at the French. Um, and Federer's is third with eight Wimbledon's, but Djokovic is right up there, man. Playing him on Australia just seems so hard. He's got nine titles. So yeah. What are your thoughts on not only the Australian open, but Djokovic overall just his dominance?
1: Yeah. I don't think there's much more to be said other than doesn't look like there's many, doesn't look like there's much competition, right? Medvedev has had a stellar hard court, um, play these last, you know, what year, year and a half. And, uh, so, Going into the final, he thought, okay, well, maybe Medvedev can give him a fight. And he went out in straight sets, five, two, two, right? I mean, that's, Djokovic handled, took care of business. So yeah, I mean, he seems unbeatable down under, seems to be just the tournament where he's really able to focus in and start the year off the, on the right foot for him and go to town He's in great form. He's playing great. So, yeah. Kudos definitely. to him.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and it seemed like he, he definitely had overcome a tricky match against Taylor Fritz. was playing pretty big tennis. I know Djokovic didn't really want to talk too much, but he definitely got injured during that match, and talked about at times he wasn't sure if he could continue, but he ended up winning that fifth set fairly easily, and so moving into the next round, Fritz was like, I, I didn't, seem, didn't seem like Djokovic was injured in the fifth set, so kind of interesting, but really after that, not too much trouble. I think Zverev pushed him to four sets, but like you're saying, just great form by Djokovic, and yeah, great, uh, great playing by him down there, and it was kind of interesting going into the final. You know, I was honestly kind of favoring Medvedev in a way, because, you know, I guess, you know, Djokovic has never lost an Australian Open final, but Medvedev was on, I think, a 20 something match win streak, and he had beaten, he was 11 0 against the top 10 players. Because if you remember, right, just a few months ago in November, the ATP finals, he defeated players like Djokovic, 6 3, 6 3. He defeated every other top 10 player he faced. He didn't even lose at, at all, actually won yeah, pretty convincingly over all these top 10 guys. So I was kind of figuring, like you're saying, it's a hard court. Medvedev seems like he's mastering the hard courts. His win streak, his confidence of beating Nadal or beating Djokovic, excuse me, very easily, and also he beat Nadal. But yeah, uh, didn't uh, didn't seem to pay off for him. He was talking about, you know, he's talking the right stuff about how Djokovic is the one that should be nervous. He's the one chasing Federer, Nadal. You know, I'm in my second second final. I have nothing to lose. Well, he sure he sure didn't play super well i think he lost the first three games and i was like this is bad and then he came back to win the next three in a row i'm like this is better lost the first set then the second set he went up a break and I'm like okay medvedev's back but then he was had some weird wild misses and double faults to give the break back to djokovic and from there it was pretty much history but i thought there was a point in that second set where he could take control but and maybe it's just djokovic you know i know medvedev's, i'm talking about medvedev playing bad but maybe djokovic just with him being so solid kind of makes his player, you know, his opponents play bad. So whatever you want to call it, right? Djokovic doesn't <laughs> care. He'll he'll take his ninth title, his eighteenth overall, and and move on. So pretty wild.
1: Yeah, it's uh and I I know we talk we we favor numbers on this podcast, but you'd be remiss if you didn't talk about the mental aspect of the big three. I think there's a reason that they've been on top for so long. And I think a lot of it is just yeah, their ability to put their head down and play tennis and find another level that nobody else has seemed to be able to to really match or compete with you. Right.
0: Yeah, I like that you said that. I think, like you're saying, they can really trust their game and over best of five sets, even best of three, right? They're just so hard to beat because they know how they want to play their game and it's going to take a lot for them to be pushed out of their comfort zone and a lot to lose. But let's, let's talk about another really, really difficult feat, right? Besides beating Rafa, At the french open besides beating djokovic down under i think maybe the next hardest thing would be to probably beat nadal anywhere best of five he's only lost now twice but going into the australian open he'd only lost once in a best-of-five match being two sets to love up and that was to fognini a few years ago at the us open where fognini just started painting the lines and not missing any of these winners that he was hitting like I think we were talking a little bit before the podcast started that Fognini just seems to match up really well against Nadal. And I know you maybe were a little bit worried when Mm -hmm. Nadal played Fognini earlier in this Australian Open, but like you said, he handled him pretty well. But let's talk about Stefano Tsitsipas. I think that was probably one of the best matches of the tournament. What were were your thoughts, Matt, in this match? I know you said you watched at least the first part of it.
1: My thoughts were that the commentators totally jinxed it. They were... (laughs) they were just chatting away how Sissipas was done, done, done and Rafa was moving on and they were throwing up that stat, oh, he's up two sets, he's only lost once when that happens. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But it's exactly what you said. I mean, Rafa was playing clean, clean tennis in those first two sets. And then Sissipas just started digging away, just chipping away a little bit at a time he played fantastic, fantastic tennis. Those last three sets were incredible. Should have handed him the the title right there because it was just really, really incredible play for him from his.
0: Yeah, this is, a, for me, this is the second slam in a row. And maybe he's going to continue to do this, you know, with his dynamic shot making, right, where it was, Austri- it was excuse me, US Open, where he played uh, Borda Chorich. And I thought that was the best match of the, of the U.S. Open. Besides, I guess, the final where team had to come from two sets to love down and defeat Zverev in the final. But the quality of tennis between Chorich and Tsitsipas was dynamic. Of course, Poss wasted a bunch of match points. But again, this one, Poss seems to have a flair or something for the dramatic, for the big matches. And like you're saying, despite being two sets to love down against Nadal, I'm sure he was thinking in his mind the last time they met in Australia, which was in the semis couple years ago and nadal just totally destroyed him in straights right it wasn't even close mm-hmm. but this match you know similar shades but i i think he felt if he could just keep holding serve in that third set he could be okay and he barely eked out that third set right and then from there you just keep fighting keep chipping away like you're saying but that guy's a competitor i love watching him play unfortunately kind of ran out of gas in the in the semis there but
1: credit, credit not to, to after court. a match like that
0: yeah, exactly. Hard after a match like that. And and the one another parallel I want to bring up is the French Open, right? So he faced Djokovic, and I watched the entire match of this where he lost the first two sets to Joke. and you're like, come on, like, he was he was getting beaten pretty good in those first two sets, but it really was just a break here and there, a few loose points here and there. Come on, Pass, get in it. And then he goes on to win the next two sets against Djokovic even. He did lose in the fifth set. You could tell his movement was not very good, like he was cramping. Yeah, or he was cramping at that point. Yeah, but still, so again, to take take two sets off of Djokovic in a row after being, you know, pretty much almost out of the tournament, and this was again in the semis of a Grand Slam. Tsitsipas knows how to go far. He knows how to beat these guys, which is impressive because he's beaten Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. Now, the hard thing is how do you go like you're saying? How do you win the next match after beating one of these titans? And it's it's uh, it's not easy, but. I do appreciate his his game style. I, I think it's very, very fun to watch. But let's let's dive into those numbers while we while we have them up here because we're talking about CC Paas and Nadal. I guess the first thing I want to talk about is just how good these guys were both on their serve. So let's let's cut into these numbers a little bit. So both guys were serving in the sixties as far as first serves in and first serve points won, which again is a huge one, especially for CC Paas, which is offensive game, seventy nine percent. That's, that's absurd, especially when he's getting in more than half of his first serves, and then he's winning almost 80% of his first serve points. You gotta think, advantage pass right? He's not gonna get broken much. Gonna go to tie breaks maybe, but Nadal on the other side was pretty much exactly the same, 78%. So for Rafa, that is that is amazing. You know, He was using his serve very effectively. Both guys had tons of aces. So usually when I look at the numbers, I compare the aces to double faults. Ratio, I kind of subtract the two, and Pass was plus 17. Nadal was plus 13. I mean, both these guys were just pounding the aces. It's amazing. Nadal was much better in the breakpoint category. He had more opportunities or, or fewer opportunities, but he had 75% conversion rate. Tsitsipas was only 40%, but again, he had some tie breaks there. On the re- return points, again, both guys couldn't really dig in on the returns because the first serve was so dominant. Uh, 27% for Tsitsipas, 25% for Nadal. So, again, that's just, you're not getting very many looks on the serve. Um, and I neglected to say the second serve point's won. So, Pass, I would expect, you know, not looking at the numbers, Nadal to be better. That's usually his bread and butter. But Tsitsipas was a whole, 11% better. He was 69% to Nadal's 58%. So, that's one thing where Pass has really shown improvement, I think, the last couple of years is defending his second serve. And that's kind of where he, he struggled against Chorich. Was just not quite defending it as good, but against Nadal, anything above fifty percent, call it great. So Nadal's fifty-eight percent is good, but Pass, he was just defending his serve very, very well, and maybe it helped again with with Australian Open again seeming like it's playing quicker. Definitely seemed quicker than the U.S. Open this past year. But um, again, both guys had a very high winner count, good uh, good winner ratio there. Both guys, uh, Nadal was plus sixteen winners to enforce, Pass plus eleven. And then Nadal again, when he did go to net, and actually both guys went to net a decent amount. Nadal's volleys are just so good when he's up there. 84% conversion rate on his volleys. Tsitsipas also went to net quite a bit, 74%. So both guys, again, super solid. This was only decided by, you know, a couple points here and there, and it showed the total points. Tsitsipas won 145 points total, and they matched to Nadal's 142. So very, very tight. And then if you look at the serve, factor, which we like to use here on uh, 1530, so we basically take a combination of the first and second serves and we, we kind of come up with a ratio. So passes was 118, so anything over 100 is stellar, but Nadal, right, like you are saying, he was converting a lot of his first serve points one. He was 111, so if you subtract the differential, you got a, um, a delta of seven or 6.9, so And usually the way we do it, again, is anything, if it's like a difference of a delta of 30 or more, that's going to be a very straight set, very decisive, not very close. A difference of 20 could be a four-setter or a tight three-setter and so on and so forth. So less than 10, you know that's just a nail-biter five-setter where, again, the margins are so, so slim. And so I think as tennis fans, this is the type of match we always want to see, even though Nadal could have just as easily won in straight sets. Credit to Tsitsipas for fighting. So I don't know if you have any comments on the on the numbers or on this great battle that these guys had.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting if you break, cause it's, when I look at matches like this, there's obviously two stories, right? I mean, obviously it all took the first two sets and then Sousa plus came back. The third set was a tie break and you can see that. So I like to break down, you know, look at these things by the set. Yeah. I mean, in essence, each of these sets is really just kind of its own individual mini match <laughs> within a best of five match, you know, Right, and so, and you see, right? I mean, Nadal is completely dominant in these first two sets. I mean, his first serve win percentage in the second set was ninety percent. That's insane. He won nine of the ten points that that he got his first serve in, on. and he won seventy percent. You know, so he's winning all these things. He had five unforced errors to Sizapasa's eight and twelve in the second and first set, respectively. But then the third set you know, it shows, it went to a tie break. They were almost exactly the same in a lot of these stats. Now, Sisypast did have a better second serve win per, second serve win percentage, um, but everything else was pretty much identical. But you start to see something happen here, right? And all suddenly is hitting more unforced errors. So in that third set, he had 11 to Sisypas's four. So Sisypast keeping a cleaner game, cleaning up his game rather, and Rafa getting a little shaky there. And that showed it continued into the sec- into the fourth set Rafa had 14 unforced errors to um, Stefanos six. And then uh, Stefanos was also winning his, his serve points better. So he won 86% of his first serve points and 73% of his second serve. Whereas Rafa was only winning. Well, he won 65% of his first serve, which is still pretty good, but then only 45% of his second serve. So he starts to see this the tide turn right, and you know, Stefanos took that fourth set, and then, and then in the fifth set, uh, their second serve win percentage was pretty bad, both sides. <laughs> but Stefanos won eighty three percent of his first serves. He got um, he converted the one break point he had. Rafa was unable to convert the one break point he had, and they were pretty even on unforced errors. Rafa had seven to Stefanos's eight. Um, but I, I just think it's interesting to really break it down that way. I mean, you can look at these stats over the whole match and, and they'll tell a story, but if you look at it, you can clearly see, all right, who, who's playing cleaner in each set and and see who's winning each set. Um, That's that story nicely. But yeah, I mean, Stefanos was able to really yeah, dig in and just keep a level head going into the, you know, got that tie break in the third set. And I think that, was of what he needed to say, all right, I can do this. Let's go.
0: Right. And and like you're saying, I mean, it's a really good point. Cause had the match ended in straight sets, the numbers would have been very, very heavily in Nadal's favor. And you would have been able to see that most likely. So good point. It's kind of like a seesaw teeter, you know, teeter-tar going back and forth, but post dug in and yeah, it's just, it's just weird. It was weird to see, you know, Nadal be so good on serve, but on the flip side, you know, I was just looking up Nadal's career numbers for his average for return points one, because 25%, you're like that's super low, you know. Looking at that number would be someone, you know, maybe with a little bit less mobility or someone that's just focusing on the serve, maybe like an Isner type or something. You know, Nadal's average, it kind of fluctuates. I looked at a chart over the years and he kind of goes above and below 40%. So sometimes a little bit higher than 40%, sometimes slightly lower, but it's right around there. And that's for 2021, and uh, in 2020 it was it's forty percent. So just shocking that, you know, and maybe it, like you said, maybe it's credit fully to C Pass, maybe a little bit to the speed of the courts, but the doll's winning twenty-five percent return points versus his normal forty or forty plus. You know, that's that's a huge difference. So I don't I don't know like you're saying what what Rafa even does going back to the drawing board. I did actually see him do a little a practice video look like with his coach where he's actually standing further in on the return. I'm like, that's not what Rafa does. So I don't know if he's, you know, not necessarily going to use that every match, but just to practice it if he needs to against maybe someone like Tsitsipas.
1: Sure.
0: But, yeah, I don't know. I'm just just saying Nadal's serve numbers should look closer to Djokovic return points than Tsitsipas's, or even Federer sometimes I may mean, maybe struggle on the return points. But because think about if Nadal had those same – serve numbers to his same return, normal return numbers, it wouldn't have even been a contest. You know, number-wise, he would have blown Pass out of the water. But again, right, just because you have a good serve, can't compensate for the return. You know, you, you kind of need both. You need a balance of both. So again, I, I don't really know because I'm only, only watching the highlights there. Both guys just look so good. But I I wonder if Nadal's going to the drawing board saying, how can I, how can I get more of these returns in play, you know, so...
1: Was well, there anything? You on the know eye he test? is. I mean, you know that these big three—they're old, <laughs> and yet they're still finding ways to change their game. Yeah, I don't know how. Still finding ways to add to it. But.
0: Did you see anything on the eye test as far as Nadal? Maybe not winning as many return points, or was it just Sitsiposs was so offensive he couldn't really had a didn't really have a chance, or anything that you noticed? Because again, I didn't watch uh, it. All. I
1: don't know if I could answer that question very accurately. Yeah, wasn't paying that much attention to it. Yeah.
0: No, it's okay. It's yeah, sometimes it's hard in the moment. You don't necessarily break things down that way. But interesting. Interesting for him and his coach to go back to the drawing board, but still a great, great epic match. So let's let's dig right into the final. So I guess before I talk about the final, so the semifinal, there was we had a surprise semifinalist, someone that was went through the qualifier. So we had a Russian. We had two Russians in the semis, right? One was Medvedev, the other on the other side of the bracket was Aslan Karatsev, and he played Djokovic in the semis, lost in straight sets, but still super impressive. I think he went inside uh, the top 50, just paced on that huge run. He was way outside the top 100. So pretty shocking to see him come through. He defeated, who did he defeat? He defeated Dimitrov, who I thought his form was looking a la 2017 form when he made the semifinals in the Australian Open against Rafa in the semis and took him to five sets. I, I thought he could have, you know, beaten Nadal with with his form that he was playing, but Nadal was a little bit more solid and Dimitrov beat um, team. Well, like I'm saying, he kind of cramped up and couldn't really get past Karatsev. But Karatsev, you know, credit to him. He plays a pretty, he has a pretty flat, you know, power game as well. So he was able to, to get past Dimitrov, but yeah. Kind of, kind of interesting there. And team kind of went out kind of meekly to Dimitrov. I don't know he didn't look like he was playing his best, but maybe had a little bit of Grand Slam hangover now that he's the new U.S. Open champion. Mm -hmm. But yeah, kind of interesting there. Any numbers or or comments on, on that?
1: Uh, Nothing in particular. Team isn't one to talk about these things and he certainly didn't afterwards, but certainly Looks like he may have had some sort of injury that he was dealing with out there, um, but no, yeah, I agree with you. Dimitrov played a, I mean, certainly not trying to take credit away from from Grigor, right? He played fantastic tennis against him, deserved to win the match. But
0: well, well, here's an interesting number. I just I had the numbers pulled up earlier, but I guess didn't pay close enough attention. Dominic team won 18 percent on his first serve. So yeah, there, there's a red flag there. No one should be should be winning that few of points on his first that's on his first serve, points one, which again should be in the 60s or above range. So Grigor's was 62%. And then on second serve, Teams was 35%. So yeah, something just wasn't quite right with team. And like you're saying, I don't think he was trying to take credit away, and that's why I didn't talk about it. He just said some days are just not as good as others, but yeah, hopefully just an asterisk for team because he he nearly won the title last year in Australia. So two sets to one up on, no- on Novak Djokovic. Oh yeah. All right. So I guess let's get into well okay, before we get into the final one last thing. So Rublev, <laughs> talking about Robert Rublev, that guy continues, you know, he just shows that last year wasn't a fluke. He again made the quarters. Kind of has as anticipated, he he lived up to the billing. It was an all Russian quarterfinal he played against Medvedev. Who, if this sounds familiar, it's because it is. He played against Medvedev in the quarterfinals as well in the U.S. Open. and that one, Medvedev won a very tight tiebreaker, and I think it kind of mentally frazzled Rublev. And from there, he lost in straight sets. Again, Rublev loses in straight sets to Medvedev. He's kind of getting some kind of reminding me of, you know, maybe Stan Vavrinka, Roger Federer, right? Maybe where Stan just doesn't seem to be able to have it against his countrymen, can't quite beat him. But can't say enough good things about Rublev. He continues to really have a devastating game. But that match was straight sets. It looked the score line looks a lot easier than it was. I watched that match and it had some bruising, like literally like high 30s shot rallies. Like very, very intense. It was very hot out during a date during the day match. So look real quick at those numbers here. The big ones were where both Rublev and Medvedev both defending their second serves extremely well. Both were at 60%. Awesome. The big big difference was Medvedev was an amazing, you know, amazingly perfect 80% win on first serve. And Rublev was only 60, you know, basically the same as his first and second serve. So again, that's one where Rublev really actually excels. He's I think last year had one of the highest first serve percentage one win. But against his country, man, I don't know if Medvedev was just reading his serve a little bit better. I was noticing Rublev wasn't going as wide, wasn't going at out wide as often on his first serve, which that's honestly his best shot combo. So maybe he was trying to get into Medvedev's head there, go go up the tee a little bit more. But that was just kind of maybe maybe it's just circumstantial, just something I noticed while watching it. But yeah, I don't know. It's uh, interesting to see if they keep getting on the same side of the draw if they keep making the quarters, because that could be that could be something we continue to see. And these are both guys that played each other you know, when they were in the juniors growing up. So they really know each other's games really well. But I, again, I, I enjoy Rublev's game. I know right now they're playing in in Europe, in the indoors. And I believe it's in the Netherlands. And Rublev is, again, going super far into the tournament. I think it'll be him and Pass playing in the very late round. I believe it's the semis or maybe quarters. But uh, they're, again, both those guys are just playing really well. So... Without further ado, let's talk about the final. So, were you able to watch much of the final match, or catch catch some of it?
1: You know what? I don't think I watched any of it. You did. Part miss of the reason that is that I saw the score. <laughs> What'd you say? I said part of the reason is I saw the score.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say uh, you didn't miss much. I my thought was okay. I'm kind of favoring Medvedev here. I think you know with his huge win streak and. I think you think this could be the time, and it's not his maiden slam final, so I'm like maybe he'll have a chance. And he was saying all the right stuff. He's like, all the pressure's on Djokovic because he's the one chasing Federer and Nadal. Me, it's like I don't have anything to lose, but he sure played nervous out there. He lost the first three games of the first set, came back to win the next three games, which was good. Still lost the first set seven five. Second set, he went up a break, but then totally blew it. So. Unfortunate, unfortunate errors by them. But let's let's get into the numbers here, just to look show how dominant Djokovic is and how, yeah, just just how dominant, and easy he made it look. So both guys were very similar on first serve points one around seventy percent. The real difference was second serve points one Djokovic at a stellar fifty eight percent to Medvedev's thirty two percent. So just wasn't backing up the second serve. Both guys really didn't have a ton of aces compared to their previous rounds, especially Djokovic. He led all men at the Australian Open this year with his ace count. I believe it was over 100. So if you break that down per match, that's a ridiculous amount. Close to 15 aces per match. Again, Djokovic really using that serve. Didn't really have to use it that much against Medvedev, or maybe Medvedev just returning a little bit better. But break points were similar. Medvedev just didn't have as many chances around the 60... 60% 60% range for Djokovic conversion rate, 50% for Medvedev. Return points again, this is where Djokovic can make his money, right? About 40% return points one. Medvedev is down at 30%, so not quite where he was before getting all the breaks uh leading leading up to this match. And so Overall, oh, and Djokovic came to net, didn't come to net that often, but when he did, he was very devastating, almost 90% conversion rate. Medvedev tried it a few times, not so good, 60%. So, kind of all in all, that leads to uh, a pretty dominant match by Djokovic, beating him by 20 points total, right? 87 points to 68 points. And you look at the surf factor, Djokovic is expected over 100, 107. Medvedev, uh, that second serve points one really hurt him at 76. So again, you kind of see that ah, difference of about 30. That's that shows you it's a straight set, it's a very decisive win. So the surf factor predicts that as well. Again, surf factor might not be super good for tiebreaks, but for just a normal set that's decided, you know, whatever, six, four, seven, five, or any other number besides the tiebreaker, it's it's shown to be pretty good. So again, Medvedev just really not backing up his second serve like he was doing all tournament and not getting into enough of the Djokovic's second serves is really what it came down to ultimately. So and credit to Djokovic.
1: Yep. Played a good match.
0: Yep. Well, Matt, as far as just overall thoughts from the tournament, any uh, best matches to talk about or, or players you were impressed with that type of thing?
1: Yeah. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is uh, that Rafa Fonini match. Uh, you mentioned this and it's a little bit worried for Rafa going into that. I feel like Fabio always plays him pretty close. But uh, Rafa played really nice tennis there. Um, yeah, he had a 77% first serve win percentage and 69% on his second serve, and he was returning the ball really well too. So just really well played straight set match. Gave me hope going into the <laughs> the tournament. Uh, and he had his chance. He had his chance against Stefanos, but got outplayed by the young Greek. So,
0: yep, he's really got the got the dramatic flair in him, Sitsipas. But yeah, the, I guess I guess first, I mean, I don't necessarily do this all the time, but the biggest letdown match besides the final, which just so shocking, was the semifinal. I thought Sitsipas Medvedev was going to be a barn burner. I know they kind of have a little rivalry going on. And I would, I definitely favored Medvedev just because of, you know, Tsitsipas' long match against Nadal and also Medvedev seems to a little bit get the better of him. but yeah, straight sets. I was definitely not predicting that I would have at least gone with four sets. So definitely disappointed there, but you know, just shows the young guns are, you know, they're, they're at the door. They're just not able to kick it down yet. Like you're saying the big three is able to defend their turf and even to defeat Nadal, you know, is a pretty Herculean effort. It's, it's hard to beat one. It seems nearly impossible to be too. so we will see. Um, yeah, I was definitely I was definitely most impressed with, you know, of course you had the surprise Karatse, but I was impressed with Dimitrov, like I mentioned, up until the cramping, and I feel like he he deals with the cramping sometimes, you know, not not the first major he's dealt with cramping, so I don't know. I mean, he seems like he's pretty fit, but definitely gotta gotta get through that. And also, I was mentioning to you before we started recording, but Zverev. You know, he he did lose to Djokovic, but it was in four sets and there were some tie breaks in there, and he lost in the quarters. So, you know, I think his his rep for not getting far in majors, I think can start to go away, right? He was the finalist at the US Open. He made the semis last year in Australia. He's going he's going pretty deep into majors. So I, you know, he's he's putting in the effort there. And then the team, I think like so we can give him give him a pass there on his on his injuries, and then the the best matches definitely yeah definitely got to go with Citi Pass doll but also Citi Pass uh, Kakanakis was a really exciting match because the crowd was really pulling for the young Aussie. He's had a lot of injury problems, but man, he can play lights out. Super big game, but Citi Pass was able to to really kind of out hit him, um, hit more winners. So those are probably those are probably the matches that I enjoyed the most. But as far as uh, other things to look forward to, so let's see. I think Feder will be returning to the tour here in a few days. He'll be playing in Doha and Qatar. So we'll be excited to see his form, see how he can move, and really how far he can get. It's only a 250, but there's uh, I think there's still a decent amount of players going to be there that it'll be good competition for him. So that'll be interesting. And then so obviously Indian Wells would have happened this week. So it's sad about that. Love Indian Wells, but. I think Miami's still still locked in place, right, Matt? Do you know anything about upcoming schedule?
1: Um, Not a ton. I haven't heard it being canceled though, so I think you're right. Um, But I think I think Fed said he wasn't going. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I can't remember. He first said he was, and then maybe he won't now. So uh, yeah, it's hard to keep up with the the pandemic schedule. But Indian Wells is just rescheduled, but I don't know how that's going to work if it's going to be too late because you have the clay and like where to even fit it in the calendar. Plus, it's Home spring, so you don't want it to be in the summer, it be too hot. So, I don't know what they're doing. They say it's postponed, but I could see it being canceled. So, crazy, crazy times. Crazy times. I guess before we know it, Rafa will be sliding around on the red dirt and joining it again. So, I feel like we just <laughs> had the quake. Look, like we just had the French.
1: <laughs> That's crazy. because you did.
0: I know, it's crazy. Oh, see if Federer can be ready for Wimbledon again. I just hope Djokovic doesn't win his. What would that be? A sixth Wimbledon? Yeah, he's he's starting to notch not some majors as well. So fun times. Still gotta have faith in the young guns, but big three's getting older and they're getting wiser. So they're <laughs> they're, they're maintaining their their castles.
1: But they sure. Are.
0: Well, let's see. Yeah, like I said, just be exciting to see Feder and kind of how the tour progresses. It was really interesting listening to the or watching the highlights in the, in the Netherlands when they're playing the tournament, the echoes are so loud because there's no fans. It's really just the coaches and kind of eerie listening to the highlights, but there is some good tennis still going on. I just hope the players, you know, can still be motivated to get their best effort despite, you know, some of these weird times that we're in and don't know how soon till you know, they, I don't know if the players are talking about getting vaccinated soon or how that's gonna go, but obviously travel's really difficult for them because they travel constantly on the tour, so another interesting year ahead of us. But as always, visit us at cognitionsphere.com. And we have theme music brought to us by Kevin MacLeod with excerpts from his song, Cool Rock. And again, just please share the pod, our podcast with a friend that loves tennis and take a minute and write a quick review if you're enjoying this podcast. Um, and thank you. And next time, until next time, we will see you on the court.